Hello and welcome to Crestor episode 2 with Pat and Dan here coming back. Who knew it would have thought we made it past episode 1? What do you think, Pat? Isn't <laughs> oh, that man, crazy? I'm amazed. I mean, <laughs> I'm yeah, the greenhorn so, over here. <laughs> so we have, a, we have a pretty jam-packed, exciting episode to uh, uh, share with you guys today. But before we get into that, how was your week, Pat? I was solid. Um, so training plan, I'm training for Richmond Marathon, and uh, this is my first time actually having a coach um, going into a uh, actual sponsored event, and um, it's been awesome. Uh, right now, just kind of getting an understanding of where my physical uh, level is, so lot of aerobic running uh, but this week I was able to go out and do a 5k um, and uh, yeah that was yesterday over in Richmond by the James River and went 1745 uh, environmentals are pretty hot but overall uh, excited to uh, move forward with you know what's going to be taking place in my training plan and seeing what coach puts down so yeah overall yeah. great week got a little bit of flying nice. in so yeah yourself what's What's the uh, seventeen? What'd you say, seventeen forty-three? Yes, sorry. Yeah. What, is, uh, what does that come out to per mile? Uh, it's a five forty-two mile uh, split. So. Jeez. Yeah, we're getting there. That's cooking. I think, I think my best five uh, k. I hate running five k's, but I think my best is probably like nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, well, way to go uh, conquering your, your your challenge there. Yeah, it was it was oh. fun. And you do the PRT. Yeah, so uh, the PRT is our physical readiness test. Uh, we do it twice a year uh, for the, the Navy. And um, that, I, uh, um, the push-ups max for two minutes. And then you get a core, a plank hold, which is something new the Navy has incorporated, which I am a fan of instead of uh, crunches, which are just terrible for you in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, a mile and a half, timed run. Um, and I went eight flat, which was my goal. Uh, that's what our coach used to hold us to a standard uh, in college. So uh, fast forwarding 10 years and still being able to do it felt pretty cool. Yeah. And eight flat for um, a mile and a half. That's around a five, what, 505, 510 pace? Uh, not, like that. Uh, 520. So, 520. Okay. Yeah, the legs are still moving, but um, yeah, it was, it felt good to let the legs open up, especially after being a trail runner for the last three and a half years and long and slow love my trail running but you know sometimes you want to let the legs go so. oh for sure yeah <laughs> nice dude yeah i had a a wonderful week it was it was very uh very busy went by in a flash um pretty much it was it was working working out and sleeping yeah <laughs> for the most part um, <laughs> but it was really fun in that and uh had some really key workouts that went really well. Um, unfortunately, since you were doing the race on, uh, was it yesterday? Uh, we're recording this on Sunday, by the way. Uh, you had the race on Saturday, and uh, so you weren't able to join uh, old Bob Ross and I on the track uh, Friday yeah, morning. But yeah. but uh, I got I got a little uh, big for my britches and decided to um, <laughs> really up the uh, <laughs> the intervals that we were doing, and uh, it ended up working out wonderfully. We did a 10-minute warm-up and then three times through a five-minute zone four 
and a four minute recovery. So the zone four being heart rate zones, uh, we can talk about that more in the future, but basically getting right up to that threshold uh, where your body starts uh, producing lactic acid just uh, and you, you can't really kind of stay at that pace for more than about an hour. So it was, it was quite the challenge and almost double the time I'd been spending in zone two in previous uh, Friday track workouts because uh, that's been the, the norm is Friday track workouts. But that was awesome. And then went straight from there to the pool, got an awesome workout in uh, like 3,000 meters. And <laughs> we actually we tried to record this episode Friday night, ran into some technical issues. And in the in the, the process of doing that, I basically just fell asleep on my feet. <laughs> I was like, Pat, I got to go to sleep. It's like 7.30. I need to recover. And I slept for almost 11 hours. Oh, yeah. And uh, recovered. So, yeah, it was a great week. A lot of fun. And this morning, we, we started out the right way with a uh, seven, just over seven-mile run. Yeah, so we were shooting for an hour. And uh, I actually just looked at our run, and it was an hour and eight seconds, maybe, on the dot. Oh, nailed so. it. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. It was a great way to start off uh, Sunday morning. Yep, and then we both got massages <laughs> yeah. with our with our girl Ashley. Yeah, so as it goes, life, life's good. Yes. You know, I I was thinking about during the massage. <laughs> someday when I'm when I'm old and I've lived a wonderful life, let's say I'm ninety years old, the way that I want to go is right after the massage ends, and and the masseuse says, "Take your time getting up. I'm going to leave the room." Um, while you get up, get dressed. I just want to kind of just quietly pass right then. <laughs> like that's the way I want to go. That's what I want to think. Talk about, about the most relaxed. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. So yeah, it was. I mean, my little saying that I got from someone is stress plus rest equals growth. Or uh, yeah. So you know, we yeah. stress our body, and then you know, yeah. we got some rest by getting the massage and taking care of ourselves and then eventually that'll lead to uh, good results in the future. There you go. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's our weeks kind of wrapped up with a bow on it. Uh, jumping into the topics of the week. So we have two topics of the week uh, this week. We're going to start first off with going a little deeper into naval aviation. So we talked uh, mostly line share last episode was, was talking about endurance sport. And I, I think that that was great, but we figured for those listeners who are interested in the naval aviation side of things, we wanted to at least kind of lay the groundwork um, for future future episodes and like any questions that people want to send in and uh, things like that. So starting out, we talked about being tailhook aviators or carrier carrier aviators. Um, that's basically means that we're we're part of the, the the navy pilots that that go to the aircraft carrier somewhat routinely. As, as our job, Pat flying the C2, and uh, for me flying the E2, and it's kind of a a unique thing in aviation that you you don't see anywhere else outside of the Navy. Learn how to land on uh, such small runway, and of course you're there's not enough of the ship to you know slow to a stop normally. So you, you have what's called the resting gear, and you have a hook on the back of the plane. It's called the tailhook, uh, hence what we're talking about here, that being tailhook aviation. 
and you use that hook to basically grab onto a wire as you land and then it just quickly pulls you to a stop so it's kind of like a free roller coaster if you ever <laughs> grew up going to six flags or fish gardens or whatever um and the way that we we land there to, to kind of explain more about like the whole crester concept in our title of the podcast we use uh what's called an a lens, uh, an eye flaws lens that helps us basically stay on glide slope so don't, we don't get too low or too high because if, if we get too low, we're at risk of running into the back of the boat. If we get too high, you're not going to catch the wires and you're going to have to go around and try again. And so there's a lens that basically you can see a different ball on this this uh, this whole lens depending on how high you are in relation to um, the carrier deck and that tells you if you need to go a little higher a little lower that sort of thing and so that's what we're looking for when we say uh, crester because that shows that you're just a touch higher than the what would be the center of the lens which fun fact there's actually no there's no light in the center of the lens it's just uh, the closest thing to being center is the the one on the top or the one on the bottom uh, and we prefer to be a little safer so the one on the top is called the crester and that's what we aim for so a little background into that um, and we figured we'd talk a little about our communities and, uh, Pat, you want to talk about the Greyhound community, just kind of a brief overview. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so the C2 Greyhound, uh, its mission is carrier onboard delivery. So if you think of FedEx planes or you think of Delta airlines, uh, we're kind of a hybrid of both. So we have the ability to transport high priority cargo and then also, uh, distinguished visitors and sailors to and from the aircraft carrier. Uh, so when we head out in deployment, uh, typically we are going to be based out of um, the major hubs for cargo, uh, meaning we get to live on the land while we're on deployment, uh, which is pretty sweet. Um, and yeah, we are day operations only to and from the boat. So we'll get up normally four or five in the morning head into wherever we're working out of, whether that could be Singapore, Sri Lanka, Bahrain, Greece, France, Aqaba, Jordan, uh, and there's a few others out there. And uh, yeah, we'll get there. And we can do a combination of both. We can take up to 28 packs and 10,000 pounds of cargo. And uh, often it'll be um, somewhere about 10 packs and 5,000 pounds of cargo here or there. When you say uh, packs, you mean passengers, right? Passengers, yeah, that's what, yeah. So, um, and in regards to the passengers, I've taken, um, I've taken obviously sailors. Uh, The boat's constantly rotating uh, sailors that go on to their next duty station and ones that are showing up to uh, the carrier. Uh, That can even be mid deployment. And then I've taken, Woody Harrelson, when he was preparing for to play the role as Chester Nimitz, um, I wow. took uh, General Mattis when he was Secretary of Defense, um, uh, the King of, or sorry, the Prince of Jordan. So uh, a lot of the reasons why these big time people are coming out to the carriers one to develop relationships uh, for other international countries that we are working around their area. Uh, and then, yeah, the uh, the cargo, the high-priority cargo, the reason it's called high-priority is 
some piece of equipment on the carrier, whether it's an aircraft or a part for the ship itself. Um, and needs a quick turnaround because of how important it is. And the C2 has the ability to provide that quick delivery of that, that part um, to allow us to continue on with our mission. Um, yeah, basically, yeah, like yeah. You're, you're doing a project at home and you need a, a, a hammer and you don't have one. So you yeah. run to Home Depot. Yeah. Well, you can't run to Home Depot if you're yeah. in the middle of the ocean. So you have your, your friend come bring it to you, i.e. The, the Greyhound. Absolutely. And then um, this isn't technically high-priority cargo, but all the gifts that family members send to the sailors, um, that's that's what brings a lot of smiles to people on the boat. So sometimes you kind oh, of yeah. feel like Santa when you're flying out there with all the cargo around the holidays. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I can tell you, we, we get really excited on the ship every time the, uh, the, the cod lands and they start bringing out, you know, pallets of stuff because, uh, you know, you get the care package from home and, and you get, you know, whatever it is that, that kind of gets you through the, the tough, uh, months at sea, whether it's, uh, pictures from home or, you know, a bag oh. of Sour Patch Kids, if yeah. that's it, like your jam, you know, whatever it is, yeah. it's exciting yeah. to, a letter. yep, that's a letter for sure. Cool. For the, um, <coughs> excuse me, for the Hawkeye, we uh, we kind of work in concert with the the Greyhound as far as all of our training for, for going to the ship and stuff. But once you're in an operational uh, picture there, we are staying on the ship. And uh, we're part of the air wing, which is composed of all the different types of planes that are based off of the carrier. And we, we just, you know, live and, and work from the ship there, generally flying uh, several times a day. And, uh, and our job when we go flying is, is to use the big radar dome, the disc that's on top of the Hawkeye there, to basically provide an operational picture so that um, we can kind of manage the, the air-to-air fight or, or whatever mission we're happening to do. And, and then we come back, you know, land on the ship, grab a bite to eat, debrief and uh you know go get our workouts in that sort of stuff uh, but it's a lot of fun the thing i really like about being a hawkeye pilot is being part of the air wing and you get that camaraderie of uh, amongst all the aviators on the ship it's kind of a us versus them of the the flight suits the the pilots versus the um the swos or the the surface warfare officers the ship ship drivers and uh and it's kind of a laid-back vibe coming from all the aviators and then the um, the ship drivers are always, you know, getting out of people cause their hair is a little too long or, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's not our, not our thing, but yeah. Um, so that's a little bit background. I think a lot of our listeners, at least currently are, um, in the naval aviation community anyway. Uh, so it's probably a lot of questions about it. They might be boring to cover, but for anybody else, we wanted to at least cover it. And if you got any other specific questions, we'd love to answer what we can. Um, and we'll talk about how you can send questions in at the end of the episode do you have anything else to add for naval aviation stuff before we move on uh nothing i can think of cool well the next thing we want to talk about that i think can get some really cool creative uh, brain juices going is bucket lists uh, when it comes to endurance sport and we can talk about ours and for both of us we've you know at least started working on our bucket lists and they've maybe evolved a little bit since we first got into uh, the old endurance community. But I can start it out. Uh, the very first thing 
when I was in high school, I initially wanted to be a Navy SEAL, and that kind of led my uh, passion for, for really working hard in school and all my extracurriculars so I could get into the Naval Academy because I wanted to be a, a SEAL officer post-Naval Academy. And then, then I got there, did a lot of self-reflecting, and realized that I really wanted to do BUDS and the whole accession to be in a Navy SEAL and getting that trident. But I didn't actually want to kill people and <laughs> go on all the, the crazy missions and stuff. I just wanted the challenge of, of going through Hell Week and, and uh, the pool phase and all that stuff. And so uh, it was kind of a, just a, a good way to a catalyst to get me ready for the academy. But then I realized that I, I wasn't looking to, to go down that path any further. And what I realized is I could really hone in on triathlon as a way to artificially challenge myself in a way that I was kind of looking towards SEALs uh, as, as doing for me. And so I was like, what better way to do it than to go after Ironman, which is like the iconic um, triathlon, which is actually first uh, designed by a SEAL out in Hawaii. Uh, they took the three biggest races uh, on the, the Big Island Hawaii, which was a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike, and then a marathon, the Hawaii Marathon. And they, they just smashed them all together, and you did the swim and then the bike and the run. And uh, and it, it was born, I think that was in the late 70s, if I remember correctly. I could be could be wrong on that. But um, anyway, I was like, all right, I want to do an Ironman. And so that was my first bucket list thing. And... And then as soon as I did Ironman Florida, I, I realized how weak I was at climbing on the bike. And so I looked, at, I looked around and found the hardest uh, Ironman, at least in continental U.S., as far as uh, the bike leg. And I found Lake Placid that has about 10,000 feet of gain across 112 miles on the bike and a pretty, pretty hilly run as well. And I was like, all right, Lake Placid's on the bucket list. <laughs> uh, so I, of course, have finished the Ironman on my bucket list. Ironman Lake Placid, I also did off my bucket list. And then the other five that I still have kind of outstanding that I'm really excited about eventually doing is Ironman Hawaii, so the World Championships, which is really tough because you have to qualify. Um, I missed it by one spot in Ironman Florida, unfortunately. Uh, but it's based off your age group, and we're, we're in a very, very competitive age group right now. Um, and so it might be a while before I can qualify for that. And then uh, the next race would be Dorsman, the Norseman uh, triathlon. That's in Norway. And that's it's actually got, I think, 13,000 feet of gain on the bike. And that's an interesting one because it's, it's instead of uh, being everything based out of one location where you swim and then you come back to that same location and then you bike and you come back to where you initially started the race and then you run and you come back. It's, it's an A to B to C race where you're just moving further and further the entire race. And you have to have a support team that's like driving behind you in a van with your nutrition and like making sure you're safe. And I'm really excited about eventually doing that one. That's a lottery because they, they only accept so many athletes. So I'm going to have to start putting in for the lottery once my schedule allows. And then I want to do the ride across America so that I'm not going to try and race and do like the true um, competitive ride across America, but I want to do it on, on my own or, or with friends where we take a couple months and just, just ride coast to coast. And then I want to do an English channel swim, which depending on tides and uh, it's about, I think 20 miles 
sometimes you're like swimming in place if you don't hit the tides right uh and you're just looking at like the <laughs> the coast which is not fun from what i've read but uh <laughs> and then the last one is ultraman which is i was telling fat about the other day and that's uh this crazy masochistic race where you you do a 10k swim on the first day immediately followed by a 90 mile bike you have to finish it 12 hours then you have a 12 hour period off then the next day you do 180 or 90 miles on the bike and then the third and you have 12 hours for that and you have 12 hours off and then the final day is a double marathon so a 52 miler and that one is very competitive to get accepted to, so it's unlikely that I would ever be able to race that, but hey. but I can dream. Hey. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's kind of like all the stuff that, that gets me excited dreaming about uh, when I'm training and looking forward to stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I'll pass it over to Pat. Yeah, um, that was awesome. Uh, in regards to bucket list and um, events I've already completed that were a part of my bucket list, first one was the Boston Marathon. Uh, as I had previously said, my oldest brother had reached out to me saying, hey, man, let's run the Boston Marathon together. And uh, that was when I did my first training plan, starting down in Pensacola, Florida in the summer. Uh, so that was a brutal um, a brutal training plan to get through, but it certainly paid off. Uh, and running Boston, um, it was awesome. Uh, kind of the beauty for me during the Boston Marathon was uh, it was almost like two races. Uh, unfortunately, um, about two months leading up to Boston, I had hurt um, hurt something in my right ankle and kind of just throttled back. Uh, I was doing very minimal stuff, a lot in the pool, just to kind of keep um, any weight on my ankle. And uh, getting there to Boston, my goal was to run it with my brother. Uh, however, being the competitive people we are, uh, my brother wasn't going to run slow so I could run with him all the time. So I tried to run fast and, um, about halfway through, um, I looked at my brother, Jimmy, and I said, Hey, go ahead and finish. I'll, uh, I'll see you at the finish. And he went and hammered after it went like sub three. And for the next two hours, I, uh, kind of took it slow, looked around, um, part of, what makes Boston so beautiful is you go through these little, these different towns and each one kind of has their own environment. And, uh, it just shows the, uh, what Boston, the suburbs are all about and how much energy it brings. And it was, it was so cool. Um, and it's definitely a, a race that I would recommend. Uh, and now going into my bucket list, um, of course, being an ultra runner, uh, Western States is kind of like, the uh, pinnacle of uh, 100 mile races. It's actually the original 100 mile race in the United States of America. Um, and uh, that's something as a lottery as well you'd have to get into. So you would have to do other races and get points or a qualifier, I should say, to get in. And then once you're in the lottery, every year you can continue to put in for it and uh, eventually get picked up. Uh, following Western States would be the Hard Rock 100. Uh, this one's pretty gnarly. It takes place out in Colorado. Uh, a couple stats. It has an average elevation of 11,000 feet, um, which for aviators, if your cabin altitude gets above 10,000 feet, you're starting to think about flying with supplemental oxygen or at least uh, taking some uh, 
Not oh, running for miles. Yeah, not running for 100 miles. Oh, by the way, you climb over 33,000 feet and descend over 33,000 feet. Uh, so I think that kind of goes into the uh, what Dan was saying of having that that challenge um, that drives you the kind of yeah see what you're made of. Um, and then the last one's Barkley Marathon. Uh, if you've seen the documentary on Netflix, this one isn't just an ultra. Um, there's land navigation, um, and uh, there's some other uh, things in there that are original when it comes to the kind of layout of this race. And, uh, I, uh, it's truly sadistic. Yeah. And the, I think there's 19 people that have completed it in the course of the time it's been alive. Uh, since the eighties, I think something, something crazy. Uh, so just to take on that challenge would be cool. Uh, It's five loops that are 20 miles. Uh, people say they're about, 23 to 24 miles and it's about 120 mile actual um, ultra so that that's another challenge in itself and (laughs) the gentleman that runs it Laz is just a character and I'd love to meet him Uh, and then last is actually a repeat so it's Boston Um, when I ran Boston the first time I I I went in like wanting to run with my brother and I, this time, and right, like I said, there was two parts of it. Uh, there was, you know, getting after it and being so focused was just like trying to stay with my brother and uh, hit the splits. And then there was that aspect of just kind of embracing everything that Boston uh, gives and provides and the energy that just picks you up. So my reason I want to do Boston again is I want to go out. I just want to enjoy it. Uh, take it slow. Not worry about my splits. Uh, be just more in tune with what's going on around me. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a great goal. That's, yeah, that's my uh, that's my bucket list as of right now. But this is something that I'll continue to uh, evolve as I keep my yeah. pursuit for endurance. I I got a question for you. Yeah. So you yeah. you did. Um, your first half iron triathlon this this past summer uh earlier earlier this summer and that was also your first triathlon right yeah that was um my first triathlon and once again it was my oldest brother who tricked me (laughs) (laughs) so so having done that do you do you have obviously your 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 eyes on the prize for for marathon stuff right now and, and ultras but do you have any thought towards do you have a hunger for you know, trying to beat your half iron time or proceeding to a full iron at any point? Yeah, I could foresee that. Um, absolutely. I mean, when I got done with that half, it was, it was fun. I love the transitions. I love working with the different muscles, um, that the swim, bike and run, um, allow you to do. But right now, uh, my focus is back just to running. Uh, when I'll transition over to triathlon, I don't know. But I have many of friends that are in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, and uh, seeing them just get after it and doing big events kind of makes me realize, like, yeah, you got time. So maybe in my 40s or 50s or 60s, I'll you know, go for that goal of 
trying to make it out to Kona. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's an itch there, but it's, it's not as big as the, uh, running itch. Yeah. Every time I think about, you know, I'm running out of time to run races. I think about the, uh, guy, I can't remember his name. We'll have to bring him up as like an athlete of the week in future episodes. But, um, I know we've talked about him, but he, for his 60, 65th birthday, I believe he did his first Ironman. And in, in the 65, you know, age group, there's not a lot of competitors, right? Yeah. So um, he qualified for Kona. He went to Kona, um, the World Championships, completed that at age 65. And then he did that every year until his 85th birthday. And I think that's where he, he decided to hang up his running shoes and say, all right, I'm going to actually enjoy retirement now. <laughs> but yeah. up until yeah. then, from 65 to 85, he did two Ironmans a year. One to qualify for Worlds, and then Worlds itself. So that that puts it in perspective for me every time I think about time's running out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And he he never ran the marathon. It was the thing. Because he was always worried about hurting hurting his legs Uh at such a, you know, relatively old age. And so he would would just push it hard in the swim and the bike for what he was able to do. And then he would just, like, kind of power walk the marathon. Yeah. And he had time. That's awesome. Yeah. That's inspirational. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, what about tip of the week? You want to tell me about that? Yeah. Um, so through my time of running, and um, I've you know met a lot of people, uh, a lot of people that have um, a ton of experience, much more than myself, and uh, something I've come to learn is the way to approach races, um, is not blindly. (laughs) So I, uh, I have an innate ability to ask a lot of questions and, uh, pick people's brains and going into Roanoke, the half Ironman. Um, one, I had my brother, I also had Dan, uh, to get a lot of tips and the transitions and, um, the gear and, uh, obstacles that could possibly come up during the race and how to uh, take on those obstacles uh well a buddy of mine um that i used to run with out in southern california he was saying one of the tougher parts from transitioning from the swim to the bike is getting your wetsuit off um and uh there's this old school trick where you can actually use pam just like you spray on um some pans when you're cooking yeah and uh (laughs) so it's quite simple but it's brilliant uh what you do is you get a pan you can go to any type of grocery store and from your elbows down to your wrist on both arms and from your knees down to your ankles you spray pam on uh and what that allows for is when you're taking your wetsuit off often the friction points where you're having trouble getting it off is your ankles and your wrist. And that pan acts as a a lubricant and it just slips right off. And I mean, first triathlon, I've said, well, might as well try it. And it worked. It was magical. Um, That's awesome. (laughs) And then another little trick, this is more kind of to help ease with the nerves of pre-race. When you're throwing your wetsuit on, 
you simply take a grocery bag and you put it on um, whichever hand or leg you're trying to slip into the wetsuit and it allows you just to go the, the sleeve or the leg comes right on and you don't have to worry about the uh, wetsuit kind of getting crunched up and having to keep pulling on it as you're trying to pull your leg or your arm through. So uh, yeah, that's a cool little tip of the uh, cool little tip that should hopefully alleviate some of that uh, nerve of one getting your wetsuit on prior to the swim and two getting it off and trying to jump onto the bike. Especially when your heart rate's so high because oh yeah, that's something that uh, people kind of forget about when they haven't done uh, you know biathlon triathlon type thing where you switch from one sport to another. But when your heart rate's up at like in the like high 170s or like 180s on the swim you're horizontal so as soon as you stand up and start like running through water you're you're working just as hard as you were when you're swimming but now you're vertical so now your heart's working harder to pump blood vertically instead of just like you know now it's fighting gravity and so uh, it can be really tough especially if you're like trying to struggle with a wetsuit and get it off uh, while your heart rate's like you know, peaking probably five beats per minute higher than it was in the swim. Yeah, for sure. And and that can like, that can, you know, either tire you out, or, but the biggest thing is it can make you nauseous. And uh, that reminds me of my first triathlon. I didn't have anybody I could talk to about um, doing a triathlon. I just, my brother and I just decided to, it was almost like a challenge. Like we were both swimmers and we'd kind of run just growing up and stuff but we'd never really biked so we we borrowed some like crappy bikes and we went to this this local try it was like a 400 swim 10 mile bike and a 5k i think and and we we were number one and number two out of the water and we had pushed it so hard and and uh i was right behind my brother i was on his feet and all we could think about is we had to be like first in the swim because we were swimmers, right? And then as soon as we got out of the water, he hops on his bike and leaves. I spent about five to ten minutes just throwing up next to my bike because I had pushed so hard on the swim. And then I had like sprinted from the water to the transition zone. And then I finally like hopped on my bike and I was like, well, this is awful. <laughs> and then I, I I ride ten miles not knowing how to ride a bike. And then I get get to the run, and I think I stopped like two or three times during that 5K to throw up on the side of the road because <laughs> I had no idea how to pace myself. But holy cow. So and the best part is I finished the race, and my brother and I just looked at each other with like shit-eating grins, and we were like, let's go find out when the next one is. <laughs> and we found one the very next weekend that we went and did. Oh, it's so much fun. That's a great story. Dude, it's a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, oh, Absolutely. <laughs> But yeah, don't don't mess with transition is is the moral of that story. Get you get you some Pam, get you some grocery bags. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Cool. Um, we we do have an athlete of the week this week, and Pat's gonna present her to us and uh, talk about some of her accomplishments. Yeah. So uh, first athlete of the week um, is gonna be Courtney DeWalter. Uh, for you that don't know her, Courtney Walt DeWalter is a professional ultra runner, um, and she's arguably the best female ultra runner in the world right now, and probably in the history of uh, ultra running. 
she comes from a cross-country skier background collegiately um, and before becoming a full-time professional ultra runner she was a middle school and high school teacher out in Colorado um, but something that she did this past weekend is she won the Hard Rock 100 uh, and in a fashionable way um, the the men's side of the house the difference in times between first and second place was 11 minutes um, at or near and then for the female side the difference between first and second place was seven hours so Courtney DeWalter came in just over 26 hours and some change um, and then second place was 33 hours <laughs> and some change so uh, she is just dominating um, but by winning Hard Rock 100 she is becoming um, the first female runner to win Hard Rock 100, UTMB, which is a race out in Europe, um, and then Western States 100. Uh, so she is just a dominating force, and the beauty of it is she just does it with this big smile, um, this glowing personality that it's someone you'd want to be around. Uh, but uh, if if you'd like to kind of learn more about her, there's documentaries uh, all throughout um, the internet that you can um, look up specific races or just how she approaches races. And one thing that I loved, uh, she was talking about her pain cave. And uh, when she initially took on doing ultra, um, doing the ultra running, her goal was to get to the pain cave as late as possible. Um, Right, because that's some people consider the pain cave as like when your nutrients are low and you know you're probably starting to cramp. Uh, yeah, in a sense. Um, well, the way in which Courtney DeWalter approaches her pain cave now is trying to get to it as quick as possible. Uh, and her reason for that is because the quicker she gets to her pain cave, the deeper she can make her cave, which will ultimately make her a better runner because she'll be stronger mentally in a sense. So, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty gnarly. And uh, I, when I was doing the half Ironman, there was a pretty decent climb going up into the Blue Ridge Parkway. And uh, an older gentleman, as I was passing, just starts going, chip chip away kid chip away and i bet you that was from um courtney dewalter talking about how she just likes to chip away at her pancake and make it deeper and deeper so yeah she's a that's so crazy monster. that you said that i i didn't know that that part of uh <clears throat> her story and i was just thinking this morning about a like this quote that i believe is from a chinese proverb that i ran across in a running video probably in like 2015 and it's it was something to the effect of the deeper that sorrow gouges into a soul the more joy can fill it Ooh. and and this ultra runner was was basically arguing that uh, that quote to him in ultra running means that exactly this that the deeper you can chip into your pain cave the the more capacity there is. And, yeah. um, I've always thought that's, that's really powerful that the, the more you can artificially put yourself into extremis and instead of actually 
facing these crazy hurdles that life sometimes throws our way, you could go out and just do a, a you know half marathon on your, your Saturday morning like like Bob did yesterday. Shout out to Bob. Yeah, nice work, uh, Bob. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and just you fight the heat. You it's not going to be a fun time the whole time, but but then you enjoy the rest of your Saturday and you're like you know, you run into something tough and you're like, oh, well, it's not that hard. I, I did half marathon in the heat this morning, you know? Yeah. And, uh, anyway, I love that quote and that fits so perfectly with, with Courtney's, uh, mentality there. For sure. Nice. Uh, cool. Before we kind of get into the closing of the episode, do you have any saved rounds, anything, anything we, uh, breezed over or need to double back on? No, nothing I can think of. Cool. Uh, me neither. So we listeners, which by the way, we're we're gonna try to come up with some some flashy name for for the listeners. We've got some some dumb <laughs> some dumb ideas that we won't share until we <laughs> we've come up with some some better ways to say it. But uh, but we want to leave all you, you listeners with some uh, some food for thought here. So um, and I want to credit Patty's mom uh, with this idea. Uh, which I think is fantastic. And uh, Patty, you talked about it. You want to you want to introduce this uh, this question? Yeah. So uh, um, after the first episode, my mom had reached back and uh, she kind of gave some uh, recommendations in regards to how we can you know kind of tie in the uh, the people listening and uh, kind of. Hone in on more of our why of uh, you know getting out and doing it, and then also challenge you listeners of what is your intention, what's your why, um, and maybe you don't know it right now, but when you start thinking about it, you can start to create that. Um, yeah. So what's what like why why do you pursue? your hobbies and it doesn't have to be endurance sport but yeah. you know patty and i like why do we wake up crazy early to go for a run or a bike ride or a swim you know why do you work so hard for your given profession that you you're passionate about you know like what what makes you passionate about it and by asking these questions we we become better in tune with ourselves and uh, we can become a better advocate for ourselves and uh, I think that's a cool way to continue living with intention like we were talking about with, uh, you know, kind of our ethos of the show, you know, the purposeful life driven by endurance. Let's let's find our purpose, you know. So, yeah. you know, if, if, if you want to think about that and figure out why it is that you um, kind of strive to, to do the things in your life that, that you currently do. Yeah, absolutely. And uh I mean, I'll say for myself, and I, I think my why, it won't ever change, but maybe the way in which I say it will. But uh, ultimately, I know that when I am working out and, you know, just kind of getting after it, it then allows me when I go into other aspects of life, whether it's just it's my job as an officer, uh, leading sailors, or as an uncle, um, I, it allows me to do better in that job, that area, and ultimately, um, hopefully, have somewhat of a positive impact on whether it's a group of people or a single person. 
and uh, and then hopefully that continues to have kind of a domino effect where maybe what I did or what I said you know sparks something in someone else and then they can kind of keep that mentality or that idea and uh, and then influence someone else and just keep it going um, and it would be cool one day whether uh, it's a year from now 10 years from now or you know as my life's coming uh, to an end that uh, someone just reach out and just say thank you uh, and um, and yeah I think that's that's kind of my why yeah hundred percent yeah I think mine is is the whole concept that uh, you know we need to be our our own best friends uh, you need to take care of yourself and do nice things for yourself and taking care of your body uh, is very, very much tied into taking care of your mind. And, and as soon as you, it's kind of like the Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs, you have to address the, the very basics. And, um, and I think a, a fit, healthy lifestyle does that. And yeah. it allows you to then kind of ascend the pyramid and, and, you know, get up to that self accusation and more importantly, it allows you to have the ability to then interact with other people exactly like you said. Um, and and you can you kind of got all your stuff in one sock, as we like to say. Yeah. Uh, everything yeah. all all uh, kind of taken care of, and then and then you have the capacity to kind of um, go the extra mile and and help others when they're in times of need, uh, depending on what's going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean that totally just sparked a a thought. Um, my last appointment. Uh, and many of my friends that are at our current work, we've all, we were deployed during COVID and it was tough. Um, you're pretty locked down and, uh, I got into a routine the last like three and a half months of doing meditation and yoga and watching the sunrise every morning. Um, and then I'd go on and do my, uh, my job on the carrier and, uh, what I, uh, ended up kind of a thought quote however you want to put it is before you can take care of others you got to take care of yourself um yeah and that life experience um certainly made that quote come alive for myself um and i've said it to people since uh and yeah before you can take care of others you must take care of yourself so yes you can take care of others if you're not taking care of yourself but ultimately it's going to just grind you down. So, yeah, you're going to suffer. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's a beautiful thought. Cool. Um, cool. If you do have any questions or feedback, we do have a, uh, an email account now for the podcast. So we, we encourage and welcome any, any sort of uh, positive, negative feedback or, or questions you have specifically about, uh, about us or, or endurance sports, naval aviation, or, uh, you know, our favorite color, it doesn't matter. Um, that email is cresterpodcast at gmail.com. Cresterpodcast at gmail.com. And we will uh, we'll be able to get that. Our plan is to just answer those on the very next uh, episode if you've got any questions or, or address any issues, of course, that you bring up. And with that, uh, we have any fun today, Patty? I had a, blast. a good time. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, man. That, that's what we're trying to do here. We're okay. trying to have fun. Hopefully... All of our uh, listeners had fun. And thank you for joining us for episode two of Crestor. We'll uh, be back next week with some more exciting stuff for you. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. See ya.